I need to have somebody testify to that reality today. We can't live off yesterday's bread. And the word of the Lord tells us not even to take thought for tomorrow because uh, today is going to have enough problems of its own. Is that what the word of the Lord says? Amen. I'm, I know I'm paraphrasing, not verbatim, but that is indeed what the word of God says. You've already witnessed some upcoming events on the screen displayed uh, so that we'll have knowledge of those and that we'll be able to support those. And we thank God that Harvest was here in, in, in full, for, full force last night. So give yourselves a hand. Give yourselves a hand. I want to attempt today to minister the word of the Lord to you from the Bible book of Daniel. The Bible book of Daniel. Stand. We'll look to the Word of God together. Just one verse. Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4 and verse number 2. I tell you, I can't say enough about these guys behind me as well. I, I, I tell you, they were, uh, they were so available and so helpful in, in, in helping us pull that off last night. So guys, I, I want you to know from the bottom of my heart, uh, thank you for making that such a memorable, memorable night. Some of you were just uh, babies, just, just kids when uh, we, were, we were in that element. I, I don't even, well, Andy might have just been born, probably. Uh, I know Sequoia was, uh, he was on the end of his feet somewhere tapping his toes. just honored me, just honored me last night to have such a great outpouring of support. I'm ready to preach the word of the Lord to you today. Amen. feel just overjoyed in my spirit. My wife and I went home. I don't think we ever left here at about one. I think, uh, I think Kaya was about to call the authorities on Jerry and Lynn, wondering where they were, if they'd been kidnapped or not. But uh, thank God for folks who will, who will give of themselves for the advancement of the kingdom of God. So it was, it was very late when we got home, and I told my wife, I said, I, get, I, I guess I'm just uh, invigorated by the presence of God because I don't feel tired. I might have got four hours sleep last night, but I'm, I'm ready to worship, amen, ready to give God my all in all. If you have Daniel chapter 4 and verse number 2, shout, I am there. It will be available on the screen for your observance, but the Word of God reads as this. I thought it was good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. Let me read that one more time. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. This is Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, who is uttering these words. Not Daniel, not Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, through whom God had accomplished great things, but if I may say a heathen king who acknowledged, help me somebody, who acknowledged the great things that the Lord had done for him. If I were to poll this room, could I see a show of hands that would say today, 
I think it's good. I think it's good that I should tell, share, to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. Brother Steve already uh, uh, spoke to this effect. I was just behind uh, on the accident that took place on yesterday. And if the enemy, if the enemy could have controlled the outcome, somebody missed what I said. I said, if the enemy could have controlled the outcome, uh, many folks' countenances wouldn't be as lifted as they are today. But that's just going to be another chapter in Stephen's story. Amen. And I want to title this message today, This is My Story. This is my story. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pause in this instant to acknowledge you, Lord. We thank you that you're the almighty God. You're El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one. You're the self-existent, eternal creator of the ends of the earth. Apart from you, God, we do not even exist. So, Father, we thank you for allowing us today to meet this lovely group of people in your house of worship. Now, God, anoint your word as you did in times of old. Let it penetrate the hearts of men and women throughout this facility. Bring them to repentance. Lord, and we will give you all praise. The church shouted amen and amen. You might be seated in the presence of the Lord. A story. You say, preacher, I, you know, I'm not even sure if I even understand um, the word story. No, it's not like when uh, you were forbidden to say the word lock. My mama killed you if you say lock. Y'all remember that as kids? You say, he lied, mama tear hide off you. You had to say he told a story. Anybody remember that? Anybody remember when you were forbidden to call somebody a liar? You had to say he's, a, he's telling stories. Your brothers and sisters would rat on you. Is that an appropriate word? They'd rat on you, and they'd say, he did it. And your first response would be, Mama, he's telling a story. No, 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 that's not the story I'm, I'm, I'm referring to. Because a story, according to Merriam-Webster, is an account of past events in someone's life. That's a story. Saints of God, every decision in life that we make today determines the story that we will tell tomorrow. Amen. In the last few weeks, we've witnessed Brother Tyler and also my brother Larry as they shared their testimonies that so deeply moved us. Stories range from DeMario Davis. Anybody know DeMario Davis? He's a football player for the New Orleans Saints. And... Uh, He's uh, kind of been scrutinized for his headband that said, Man of God. And as a matter of fact, the league wanted to impose a fine on him for wearing the headband, Man of God. What a story. What a, what, what a story. They range from DeMario Davis's headband to the story of celebrities who have committed suicide citing mental health problems. Robin Williams is one to note. 
How about Marilyn Monroe? A famous figure of the days gone by. How about celebrity chef Anthony Bourdain? Even designer Kate Spade. All of whom committed suicide. Saints, let me inform you today that being successful doesn't prevent people from being unhappy. I don't even like to use the word happy because happy is something you get when you find out you're going to the fair or an amusement park or something along those lines. You know that I like to use the word joy because joy comes from the Lord, not circumstances or events. Amen. Joy is internal, as Brother Stephen had mentioned. The reality of the matter is, it's one writer who declared the joy of the Lord is our strength. Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is our strength. You see, stories, saints of God, they define us. For they reveal experiences as we have uh, allowed to both shape us. And the trials and turning points in life that have tested us. Would it be safe to say today in the congregation that's assembled here in Harvest Church, we all have a story? It'd be safe to say that, wouldn't it? We all have a story. The problem is all too often we internalize our stories or we suppress them. We keep them hidden or tucked away inside of us. And they can never be a benefit to anyone. As long as we take that position. You say, well, pastor, um, who am I to share my story with? How about God? How about sharing your story with God? Oh, but you don't know the pain. You, you, you don't know the mental anguish. You don't know the turmoil. Yeah, but God knows. God knows. And in the process of time, God will empower us and he will strengthen us and he will give us the ability to share that story with others. I consider my own story. Conceived by a 15-year-old unwed mother. A 20-plus-year-old married man. I'm a product of that womb. I'm not embarrassed to share that because God in his wise providence had a plan for my life. And my being able to be so transparent and to share that story can help someone else who is going through the same circumstance in life. You see, friend, it was through time that God gave me the courage with boldness to be able to share that story. You say, but oh, preacher, they probably called you all kind of names. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. I was called uh, unwanted. I was called a bastard child. I was called all kinds of things. But here's the truth. We can't determine from where we originate. We can only determine where we're going. Y'all missed that. Y'all Listen, if you could have chosen your family, it definitely wouldn't be who your family is. You'd probably be a Rockefeller or an Eisenhower or a Vanderbilt 
or someone else that's loaded with loot. Can I get one? Amen. But the truth of the matter is God selected your family for you. And God placed within you the story that you are not to internalize, but the story that you are to share with the world. I'm not ashamed of my story. I listen to Brother Tyler. I listen to Brother Larry. I listen to Brother Mike. I listen to Brother Stephen. Amen. I listen to all these people's stories and how that through a series of events their lives were shaped. Can I ask you a question? If you've never been healed, how challenging would it be for you to tell somebody how to be healed? If you've never been, let me go a step further. If you've never had an encounter with Jesus Christ and had a salvation experience, can you lead anybody to the Lord? Absolutely not. But because your life has been exposed to said circumstances, you now can verbalize what God has done. You can be a witness through the ancient art of storytelling. You can share your story and bless the lives of others. Our problem is we all too often only want to share them when we're comfortable. Or we only want to share them with people we know. But saints of God, am I, am I licensing you today to go out and to share your story with anybody? No, I'm not. Because I believe that God will place in your path in life those persons through which you are to share your story. Are we on the same page? I want to talk about two men uh, on opposite ends of the spectrum, uh, so to speak, in today's message. I want to talk about the story of uh, the tax collector. And then I want to talk about the wise men. And if you haven't figured it out, uh, just follow along. I want to talk about the tax collector and the wise man. Zacchaeus, the Bible tells us, his story is recorded in the gospel according to Luke chapter 19, was a tax collector of the city of Jericho. He had short man syndrome. Y'all understand that? There are two things I've discovered. Short people make it up in attitude, and little people make it up with being loud. Ask Brother Ted. I've heard Misty walk across an empty floor, and she's thin as a rail, but you'd think she was a 3,000-pound elephant. You heard Sister Jamil say last week that they asked Ray, uh, um, her daughter's husband, what's it like to live with Brooke? And they said, loud. I said, yes, she's about four foot nothing. So she's got to make up for it with being loud. I've determined that. Zacchaeus had the short man syndrome. You say, preacher, how can you justify it? Well, the Bible said that he heard that Jesus was coming by and he climbed up in a sycamore tree so that he could get a better view of Jesus. Oh, but did Jesus put a twist on that encounter with Zacchaeus? How many know, as as manners would have it, or as uh, etiquette would have it, that we kind of invite people to our house? They don't invite themselves. How about that day? Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' house. How about that? Jesus looked up into that tree and he said, Zacchaeus! Make haste, for today I must abide at your house. 
wait a minute, a tax collector? Well, not just a tax collector, a short man, a short guy. And Jesus ventures off into Zacchaeus' house. And listen at Zacchaeus' immediate response. You see, it was an indication that Jesus was already working in his heart. You know why? Because Jesus didn't have the same response as the rich, uh, Zacchaeus, um, excuse me, didn't have the same response as the rich young ruler in the previous chapter that said to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, sell all you've got and give to the poor. What was Zacchaeus' response? Can anybody help me? Look at Luke 19. It's right there. Luke chapter 19, we will see Zacchaeus' response. It is entirely different than that of the young tax collector, the rich young ruler in the previous chapter. Here's what Zacchaeus said. Lord, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, get your pens ready. Zacchaeus says, I restore fourfold. Somebody said, what's that an indicator of? That's an indicator, Brother Mike, that Jesus was already working in Zacchaeus' heart. Amen, because Zacchaeus could not respond the same way the rich young ruler did. He wanted a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen, class. Hallelujah. He, he, glory to God, wanted a relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh, pastor, tax collector. Let's rehash that a little bit. Did anybody like tax collectors in the Bible? Do you like them now? <laughs> Let me tell you what tax collectors were in the Bible. They were the equivalent to the IRS today. Right? You've worked hard. To secure your earnings, and you got to give them away. Are you serious? Zacchaeus was a tax collector. They were often the objects of scorn or disrespect. Nobody likes to pay taxes. God has blessed us, and we have toys, and we have uh, uh, personal items of which we enjoy. Amen. You can look at your wife right now and say, honey, it don't matter if we live to be a hundred. I don't care if the deed is in the safe. It still don't belong to us. Because how many know if you don't pay your, that they'll come get it? Will they not? They'll come get it. No wonder these guys live uh, such disrespected lives. Well, not only were they the object of scorn, they were employed by the hated Romans. That's another strike against them. They were viewed as traitors by their fellow countrymen. In other words, they were known crooks who collected extra for themselves. You have you ever read in the Bible where a tax collector was poor? Ever? You know why? Because the Bible notes that they were rich. And they were rich because they cheated people. Not only would they get what the Romans re required, uh, but they would get a, skim a little bit off the top for themselves. And listen to me. What this caused is that uh, uh, they became ostracized from their own society. In other words, 
they were excluded from their own society because robbing people elevated them in class stature. Wasn't it? They couldn't even associate with the lower class people anymore because they had done like the Jeffersons and moved on up. No wonder they were despised. No wonder they were scorned, disrespected. My God, but here's something interesting. Jesus spent a lot of time with tax collectors. Is that a matter of fact? Well, according to the Bible, saints of God, that is a fact. Because while others viewed them as enemies, Jesus saw that they were spiritually fit and that they needed his Really, I mean, Jesus loves tax collectors. Are they not sinners? How about the many times the Bible said that he ate with publicans? That's another name for tax collectors. He, listen, there's something strange about this guy. He's eating with the publicans and the sinners. You know the opposition Jesus faced in his day. The various Religious groups who always opposed Jesus here on the earth. One of them was the Pharisees. And the Bible tells us that they held to their own interpretation of the law to the letter. Were they self-righteous? Oh, you better believe it. They wrote the book on it. But Jesus spent so much time with tax collectors that according to Mark chapter 2 and verse 14... He called a tax collector to the position of disciple. Now, that'll blow your mind. You're like, well, he just called those other guys from fishing. But no, no, no. Jesus knew what he was doing when he called Matthew, also known as Levi, a tax collector. Jesus called him to the office of disciple. And the actions of both Zacchaeus and Levi themselves, they serve as proof, saints of God, that true repentance and a relationship with Jesus Christ does what? It changes one's behavior. I'm preaching way better than you're responding. Tell me, doesn't an encounter with Jesus change your behavior? Doesn't it refine you as an individual? Could you share that story? These people ridiculed Jesus Christ for the amount of time that he spent with tax collectors and with sinners. These religious groups had heard John the Baptist's message of repentance. But I know the Pharisees were self-righteous because the scripture makes it clear that they couldn't even see their need and they even refused to be categorized with in other words, they thought they were in such right standing with God that John the Baptist's message didn't apply to them. Are you with me, saints? Oh, my God. Let's look at Matthew 21, verses 28 through 32. Matthew 21, verses 28 through 32. And see what the word of the Lord has to say. Amen, baby. 
Are you there? Matthew 21, verses 28 through 32. What do you think? If a man had two sons, he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it, and he went. Then he came to the second, and he said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? Who's Jesus talking to here? That religious dude. He's talking to the Pharisees. Which of the two did the will of his father? Were they, were they hesitant to respond? Or were they hasty? They were quick. They said, oh, the first one. Jesus said to them, assuredly, the King James would say truly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came, listen, for John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. Oh, glory to God. But who? Tax collectors. Glory to God. Tax collectors and harlots believed him. When you saw it, you did not afterward repent and believe him. Can I share something with you, class? Jesus Christ does not count what people profess or what people proclaim with their lips as obedience. Somebody missed a good place to shout. I said, Jesus doesn't count what people profess with their lips as obedience. Their response was completely off the charts. Jesus said, I got some sad news for y'all. There's tax collectors and harlots going to heaven. And you're missing the mark. Man, you ought to take about a 30-second praise break right there and just give God some glory. Amen? <laughs> Jesus said this to a self-righteous group of Pharisees who thought they had it together. No, they missed it completely. Let me tell you what obedience is. Obedience is an action that brings one into an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You know what nauseates me? Can I say that word in church? You know what nauseates me? It nauseates me to hear Christian people say, but don't the Lord, don't he want to have us? Don't God, doesn't he concern himself with my habit? No. Have you ever read in the entirety of the scriptures where Jesus wants you happy? Raise your hand. But how many times does the word tell us he desires that we be obedient? It's our obedience that leads us into an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Not being happy. 
What's the guy's name with the big hat that sings? I'm so happy. Yeah, y'all, y'all sit there and act like you don't know him. I know you do. You sing it with him. Don't sit there and tell me you don't know. What a story. Zacchaeus and Levi, the tax collectors, could share. What would happen if they internalized that story? Would it ever affect anyone else for God's glory? No, it wouldn't. Because God loves publicans and sinners. He loves tax collectors and sinners. Amen. What a story. Well, who's the wise man? Solomon. Solomon is the wise man. He's the son of David and Bathsheba. He's also one of the most interesting men in the history of the Bible. For his writings should be some of our favorites in all of the scripture. Somebody said Solomon was the wisest human being outside of Jesus Christ that ever lived. How many would agree to that? Was he wise? Yeah, he was wise. Because he didn't ask God for riches but wisdom, God also blessed him with finances. Let's look at some of the accomplishments that Solomon did. Well, I just want to highlight one. Not only, not only did this brother have a bad pad himself, you follow me? Somebody say it. We can say it in church. Bad pad. Y'all looking at me like, really? We can say that in church? This man had a bad pad. Now guess what else was allowed? The house of God. The temple at Jerusalem. Didn't his father want to erect for God a house? Yes, he did. Did God do great things through David? Yes, he did. But he was a man of much bloodshed, a man of war. And so God didn't choose him to build his house. He blesses his son Solomon. And let me tell you something. Man, we went through that in-depth study on the tabernacle here in our Bible study. In the future, maybe God will bless us as we will talk about the temple. It was one of the most immaculate edifices in the world in its time. Everything, say that again, Brother Harold, everything was the best. Imported items from various regions of the world. God gave this man contact with key people and they incorporated all these lustrous items into the construction of the temple. There was nothing like it in the world, was it? But the sad truth is, even though Solomon started out great, it didn't end so great. Didn't end so well. The longer I live into this world, I add things to things people said before me. Can I share one with you? When I was growing up, I heard people say there are two things that you can bank on. Anybody know what they were? Y'all got it. 
They say, son, there are two things in this life that are for certain. You're going to pay taxes and you're going to die. Can I get one amen? But the longer I live in this world and listen to things, the more that I decide to inject uh, a, a certainty that I've reached a conclusion on. And what is that? We're going to die, we're going to pay taxes, and we're going to listen to countless complaints from clueless millennials. Some of y'all look at me like, Maybe you need to break that down. Uh, that's, a, that's a bit offensive. How many of you were born before 1960 in this room? You're a baby boomer. You're a baby boomer. But who were born in this room from the early 80s to the early 2000s? Come on, don't be ashamed. You have been labeled by society as what generation? Generation Y. If you were born from the 60s to the early 80s, you are Generation X. Okay? Also known as who? I can tell y'all completely lost. All right, we declare that if you were born from early 80s to early 2000s, you were Generation Y. That would make you a millennial. All right? Generation X precedes Y, and then we have Generation Z. That generation born from the early 2000s unto the clear and present. Boy, do we ever hear complaints, one after the other, about that clueless generation known as millennials. Okay? But let me, let me assure you of something. Solomon experienced the same problems in his time as we do today. You don't think it's true? The man wrote the book of Proverbs to help us understand that. He experienced them. He knew that without strong teaching, and without guidance, a nation would stumble as its youth grew older. Isn't that wisdom? Isn't that wisdom? Solomon was a wise man. In the book of Proverbs, Solomon covers everything from investment to relationships, from laziness to one of the most important topics. And that is Proverbs 1 and 7, the fear of God. Solomon knew that for the next generation to be successful, somebody had to lay a foundation on which to build. Hello, somebody. Now, are we, are we believers in the Word of God, Christians here today? Do we believe this is the Word of God? Yes. Do, believe that every, do we believe that every word in it is true? Yes. Y'all not saying that with a whole lot of conviction. I'm, I'm, I'm getting some mixed responses from the auditorium. But do we believe this is the word of God? Do we, do we believe every word of it is true and accurate and infallible? 
Do we believe that the God who inspired men to write it down is able to perform its every action even to this day? What did he use Solomon to say in Proverbs 22 and 6? Oh, all of a sudden, y'all got laryngitis. Everybody, everybody can't. What's wrong? I can't say it. I can't say it. What does Proverbs 22, 6 say? Is that the word of God? When we're going to start believing it? Is that the word of God? When are we going to quit worrying about our youngin'? Hello? When are we going to quit laying in bed at night, tossing and turning, fat domino disease, worried to death about our youngins? Is that the word of God? That is the word of God. And God said what he meant and meant what he said and is able to bring it to pass. The devil in hell is a lie if he thinks I'm going to lose sleep on whether my children will walk with God because I brought them up in the way they should go. I might be dead and in a grave somewhere, but they're going to come to God. That's my faith. I'll preach it until I die. Come to the altar boo-hooing our eyeballs out, praying, worried ourselves to death about our young'uns. If we did our job from the beginning, I ain't talking about when they got 10. I'm talking about when they're 10 days old. I'm talking about from the time they got out the hospital and got the doctor's thumbs up that you brought them to the house of God and you indoctrinated them with the word of God. The word of the Lord says, I don't care if they live to be a hundred years old. You cannot extract it from their being. Train them up in the way they should go. And when they're old, they will not depart from it. Amen. Oh, I love the fact that people are praying for people. I love the fact that the body of Christ is uplifting the family of God in prayer because they have unsaved children. But what kind of believer are you if you minimize the word of God and you water it down to mean less than what it says? I might be in a grave somewhere before my family comes to Jesus. But let me tell you what I'll die doing. I'll die believing that God will accomplish what he said. That's right. That's right. Because let me tell you what the devil ain't going to do. The devil ain't going to pull the card on me. Oh, you didn't. I'm so sick and tired of people talking about, oh, I had a, a troubled childhood. I grew up in a broken home. Ours was broke too. We didn't hardly have two dimes to rub together. I wasn't born with a silver spoon. We went through some hard times. But we loved each other. This is my story. We loved each other. We prayed for each other. We supported each other. Families, communities, neighborhoods. This is what happened in my day. Now people ducking down when they see lights pull up in the driveway. Close the blinds. Who is that? Don't nobody know me pull up in my yard this time of night? Don't answer that phone. 
Any, I mean, listen, I just wonder how many of you remember back in the day when you first got a telephone. You got a phone in your house. You, listen, after the new wore off of it, y'all hear me now. After the new wore off of it, it could ring slam off the hook before anybody would answer it. Because the new wore off. It would ring. You'd look at your sister. Are you going to get that? It's ringing. Ring, 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 ring. Everybody in the house looking at each other. You going to get that? Have you ever been standing beside somebody lately and they had the phone on vibrate? And it went off. Oh, how the times have changed. Look at your sister back in the day. Can you please get that now? Oh, you ain't got to worry about nobody answering that phone for you. You'll break your ever-loving neck <laughs> to answer that thing. Preach, Pastor. I'm just sharing my story. Oh, my, how the times have changed. But Solomon declared if we train up a child in the way he should go, when he's old, it won't depart from him. You see, for the next generation to get it right, hear me, saints of God, listen. I need you to grasp hold of this with both hands. For the next generation to get it right, somebody has to lead the way. Did you get it? For the next generation to get it right, someone has to lead the way. That's why Solomon gave us so much helpful information. I want to drop this nugget on you. There are two traits that are, that are they're absolutely crucial to success in any endeavor in life. If you're writing right now, it'd be a good time to write this down. Two traits or characteristics that are of the utmost importance to succeeding in any endeavor. You ready? Number one, discipline. 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 What is discipline? Discipline is training one to act in accordance with wisdom. What would society be without wisdom? The second trait is diligence. Diligence. Define diligence. Careful and persistent work or effort. That's diligence. Those two traits, discipline and diligence, crucial to our success in any. And I don't know what kind of job you got, but I got one that if I don't show up, I don't get paid. How about you guys? What kind of job you got? Uh, are you just so important that whether you're physically there or not, you get paid? If you do, I'm going to fill out an application where you work tomorrow. I'm just kidding. But in reality, we live in a time where people feel they're entitled. And they walk in the door thinking you owe them something. I'm just sharing my story. You see, Solomon's accomplishments motivate every one of us to give our all in everything that we do. Man, when we in-depthly study that, that temple, that immaculate house of worship that he built for God, and even on the day of his dedication, how pleased with it that God was? Somebody say, I don't know how pleased God was with it. Really? You hadn't read the account in the scriptures? You mean God was so pleased with that house that when they went in to dedicate it, that his glory so filled that place that the priest couldn't even perform their duty. That's how pleased God was. 
with his house. So they motivate us. His accomplishments motivate us. But I said earlier, his story doesn't end with Pharaoh. But what happened to Saul? He began to be influenced by his many foreign wives. I don't know about you, Bear, but one's all I can handle. Yeah, he began to be influenced by his many foreign wives. I know my wife don't want another husband because it took her this long to train me. Praise the Lord. It's all right to incorporate a little humor. God has a sense of humor. I know he looks at us sometimes and says, wow. Well, I know sometimes God looks at us and says, are you kidding me? Look at 1 Kings 11. One through three. It supports what I've just said. The Bible said King Solomon loved many foreign women. He loved the daughter of Pharaoh. He loved the women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidonians, and the Hittites. From the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. Lord. We've seen movies portray Castle Noak. But hello, somebody. This man right here was the Mac Daddy. The Bible said he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away. That man had women for breakfast, lunch, and supper. They, 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 they didn't even number his princes. They just said he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's 1,000. They but 365 days in a year. This man had breakfast, lunch, supper, and, and snacks. Yeah, that fancy word. That fancy word that Sister Linda said, just finger food. He had the hors d'oeuvres too. Somebody ought to help me preach while I'm here. Somebody ought to help me preach. I, I, I'm trying to share Solomon's story because what did he do? He was influenced by those wives and he disobeyed laws that were given to his own people by God himself. So does his story end so well? 
No, because the sins of immorality and sexual pleasure. I might as well preach this, amen, and shame the enemy. I might as well preach this, saints. The sins of immorality and sexual pleasure ultimately led to Solomon's gross idolatry. That's the word of God, amen or oh man. That's his story. Ain't that sad? Ain't that sad that God would use a man in such capacities that he used Solomon, that he became so indulgent with the things of the world that it separated him from God. I don't want to alarm anybody, but it's happening in our world today. And people think that their relationship with God exempts them from everybody else. I got some sad news for you. Sin will separate you from God. Please don't allow that to be a part of your story. It's sad that we read of all of Solomon's accomplishments. And then later in life we discover that his heart is turned by these foreign wives. And he breaks the law of God. Give it to his own people. Do you think the favor of God was on Solomon's life? Oh, without a doubt. You think he was talked about in the four corners of the then known world? Without a doubt. The man had unmatched wisdom, didn't he? More riches than he knew what to do with, but immorality and the pursuit of sexual pleasure led him into gross do we all know how God feels about idolatry? He hates it. He hates it. I want to finish today by encouraging you, the body of Christ, to share your story. Share your story. Pastor, what is a story? It's an account of past events in one's life. Another definition said it's a narrative, an unfolding narrative that connects a series of events in one's life. Now, the next phrase I'm about to say, I believe that every person in this room has heard it in their life. And some of you, some of you are going to stick to your guns on where this came from. Okay? Open confession is good for the soul. Who ever heard it? Don't, I mean, don't be ashamed. Who's ever heard it? Where did it come from? Who in here believes it came from the Bible? Don't be ashamed. Come on now. Who in here heard or believed in your life that that was true? Heard it? Did you think that it came from the scriptures? Let me throw another one at you. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Did you believe that came from the Bible? It ain't in there. And neither is open confession is good for the soul. It doesn't mean that it's not good medicine, but it's not Bible. Well, where did it come from? Many say it's a Scottish proverb. Many, many, many people say that it's, a, it's an old Scottish proverb. I, I, I don't know. Maybe some more extensive study would produce a solid answer. But I guarantee you in our lives at one time or another, 
our parents have quoted it and their parents before them and their parents before them. And in the process of time, we took it as word. We took it as word. I, I certainly with all my heart believe that other confession is good for the soul. You say, Pastor, what do you base that on? First John one and nine. If we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me tell you what Dina Metzger says. You say, who's, uh, who's, who's Dina Metzger? Well, she is an accomplished writer, teacher, and healer. Can you, can you show us that screen? Myla, one before that. There's Dina Metzger. There's Dina Metzger. And here's what Dina said. Stories heal us because we become whole through them. And in the presence of writing, the process of writing, of discovering our stories, we restore those parts of ourselves that have been scattered, scattered, that have been scattered, hidden, suppressed, denied, distorted, forbidden. And we come to understand, oh my Lord, oh my Lord, that stories heal. Has anybody discovered that there's truth in that? Has anybody discovered that stories heal? They heal us. And they move us past the pain, the hurt, the rejection, the disappointment. They move us past the series of those negative attitudes that can exist in ourselves. We can use them to help other people. You say, preacher, uh, uh, I mean, are you telling me that at one time you were ashamed uh, that you were the product of a 15-year-old unwed mother and a 20-plus-year-old married man? Well, that's that time in my life. I was indeed ashamed. But then I had an doesn't matter how much I'm rejected by the world. I am accepted in the beloved. It, it don't matter what people call you. You only what you answer to. Paul ain't good enough. We, we gathered for that thing last night. I was greeting some folks I hadn't seen in years. I was saying hello to a whole row of, of, of family, and I heard the wife whisper to the husband, that's who I am in Christ. I have an identity. I'm his child. Y'all ain't getting it. Y'all ain't getting it. And it doesn't matter how sorry my story is. 
I feel I belong to you. And be glorified through my life. Musicians will come. Let me tell you something. Ernest Kirsch and Catherine Tripper are authors of the book, The Spirituality of Imperfection, Storytelling and the Search for Meaning. Show us the next slide, please. Here's what they say. Relief is experienced rather than gotten. You get that? Received rather than attained. And so it does not work to tell one's story in order to attain relief. Yet relief does emerge from the practice of telling the story. Is that right? The deeper relief Somebody say deeper. The deeper relief is our attachment to the chain that binds us. Some of you are like, Pastor, I can't tell my story. Yes, you can. Because, saints of God, confessing our sins, telling our story, doesn't help God better know us. You want to know why? Because he's omniscient. He already knows everything. Would you agree? So then, confessing our sins, sharing our story, does not help God better know us. Well, what does it do? Confessing our sins helps us better know us. Right? Let me ask you a question. Where do you think Brother Tyler would be today had he not confessed his sins? My brother Larry, where do you think those guys would be who stood so boldly and transparently before this congregation and shared their story? Where do you think they would be today had they not confessed? I, I, I hate to consider it. I hate to consider it. I sang with a young lady who graced our presence last night on the stage. She said to us that years after leaving the group, she found herself at the lowest point in her life. Turned her back on God. Became addicted to Christian music. Found herself on her knees with a handgun in her hand, ready to tell the story. I told Sister Oxendine, I have no idea this woman has something to say to me. You heard the phrase, sin will take you far and you want to go. Sin will keep you long. Than you ever wanted to stay. <laughs> Sin will cost you far more than you ever would have. 
to take. That's why that I'm glad today. He knows mine. Y'all stand with me all, all over the building. Come on, stand with me. We got, we got some precious gifts in life, some babies we're going to dedicate to you just in a few moments. But, 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 but stand with me all over this place. Because I want to tell you that the stories those brethren shared, I want to tell you that Larry and, 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 and Tyler's story helped them to discover both the therapeutic and the healing power that comes from sharing your story. Would that be a correct assessment, Tyler? Did you feel a relief? You see what he just gestured to me? He said, I felt a weight. felt a weight lift off my shoulders when I shared my story. Stories benefit future generations. Pastor, how can that be? It connects the past and the present to the future. I want to share something with you on a personal note. Sharing my story has helped me have a deeper compassion for other people who have experienced rejection and loss. Because the great thing that I discovered, can't nobody reject you when God accepts you. Y'all missed that. I said, can't nobody reject you when God accepts you. You ought to give him a hand of praise right there. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I pray to God the Lord as you'll stop us in the message today to impact your heart and your life. I want to leave you with this charge. Don't ever be ashamed. Don't ever be ashamed of your story. Don't ever be ashamed of your story. Let me tell you what your story might do. Your story could possibly unlock someone else's story. Am I right? It could unlock Now listen, you don't need to, you don't need to make this, uh, you don't need to make this pledge to me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm nobody of importance. But I need you to make this vow, this pledge in your heart right now in the presence of God. This is what I need you to declare. Father, I will share. told that maniac of Gadara go home show your friends 
how great things the Lord has done for you. Those of us assembled in this room, God has done great things for us. And God wants us to be willing to share those things he's done with others. Can I bless you right now? Can I, can I pray over you right now in the presence of the Lord? Father God, I thank you today for the heart of your people. I thank you, Lord, that they have gathered in this place today for the purpose of worshiping you. I thank you that your word has gone out in great power and in great conviction today in so much that it has the ability to change their lives. It's my sincere prayer and desire you would inspire them, encourage and motivate them without fear to share their story. Regardless of what background in life they have come from, their story can bless others. I pray right now that you would empower them, you would strengthen them, that you would gird them in your truth. And without hesitation, they would share their story. I pray this blessing over them in the strong name of Jesus Christ. 